This is Superlative, a podcast about watches, the people behind them, and the worlds that inspire them. Spending time with the blog to watch community and the stories we discover. Let's get started. Hey everyone, this is Ariel Adams of the Superlative Podcast. Today I'm joined by two guests, the legendary Jean-Claude Biver and his son, his youngest son, Pierre Biver. Mr. Biver and Mr. Biver, welcome. Yes, hello, hello, Ariel. Good to hear you. Good to see you on the video. It has been two years now since we met last time. I think it was in Dubai. Yes, it it was. And um, Jean-Claude, your and I adventures have gone back quite a while. Um, I don't remember the first year we met, but it was probably soon after I started in the watch business. It must have been 2009 or 2010 um, that we met each other first. Um, And since then, for at least 10 years, I've seen you through many, many interesting instances. Uh, Of course, the the sale of Hublot to LVMH and all the exciting times over there, um, multiple of the the brands that you've run. Um, For anyone that doesn't know, Jean-Claude Biver is is a living legend in the watch industry. Um, The watch industry is really typified by very charismatic special personalities. Um, it is an industry that requires huge levels of charisma and vision. And Jean-Claude, you were, you were one of the few, and people rallied behind you. Uh, a couple of years ago, you made the announcement, I'm just trying to give everyone a little bit of context here, you made the announcement that you would um, leave uh, LVMH, and no one was quite sure what we, you were going to do. And now... We have the exciting news that you are coming back with, it sounds like a, a family-owned venture, yourself and your son, Pierre, doing a watch brand. What else can you tell me? I am back somehow. And where, where, where do I am back? I'm back to my passion. I realized that you cannot retire from a passion. You can retire from a job. You can retire from a position a business position. But how how do you retire from a passion? Eventually, by dying. That's the best way to retire from a passion. And, but I'm not yet dying. And before <laughs> I die, <laughs> before dying, I want to have the experience and the emotions that passion is giving you. Passion is life. Passion is the future. Passion is everywhere. Uh, and that is essential. And that I realized that I was very, very uh, uh, lost without my passion. I couldn't express it anymore. So I never thought that by retiring when I was 70, that I would lose the best part of me, which is my passion. And how can you live without the best part of yourself? And I decided because I saw that my son has, my son Pierre has somehow the similar passion of me. And I said, wow, if I do something together with him, I can transmit and transmitting, giving back. That is what you should do once you have passed the 70 years. And after 45 years in the watch business, Time has come for me to keep my passion, but to give back. And the giving back, that is now my new objective. That's my new role. Uh, And for the best way to do this role, to do that, is through a brand. And instead of buying a brand, we said, but let's make your own brand. I am known in the watch business by a certain number of people. I have a good good relation uh, and a good image. So maybe we should do our own brand called Beaver. And that's that's where we are today. And that's why we are doing this interview. Thank you very much for interviewing us. Very exciting, Jean-Claude. So I have a question for you, Pierre. Is it true did your father try to retire? It is true indeed. He he tried very hard. I think he tried his best. Um, for us as a family, it was not always easy to uh, <laughs> to live with because he was he was all over the place, going crazy. Um, but uh, luckily, he's managed to find his way back to his passion, and it's a great adventure where 
where you're starting. Now, why did you become the fortunate one to receive uh, the the extension of his passion in watchmaking? You know, uh, there are uh, multiple children, and uh, each each of you should have received an enormous interest in watches. But I know how it is with with watch parents and their children; it always, doesn't always work that way. What was it uh, about your life that made you feel that you want to follow in this passion? Um, honestly, I, I, I don't think I really can point out one clear answer. Um, until I was about 16, so a, a teenager, I, I had kind of a aversion towards uh, watches. Everybody was telling me, oh, you're going to work in the watch industry later. You're going to fo- you follow your father's footsteps. And I kind of rejected uh, all of that for many years. But eventually growing up and suddenly, uh, you know, realizing that, it, that watches had been around me all my life. They had played an important role in my life. All that time, it it sparked something in, inside me that I can't really explain, and it quickly became very natural. Um, you know, for me, talking to uh, to retailers, to even suppliers, or or any actors of this industry, it, it feels quite natural because I've been exposed to it since very young, and it's just something that 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 is inside me. I can't really fight it. And the same way, my father couldn't uh, retire, I couldn't really uh, run away from my passion for for watches. I completely understand. Now, at a very basic level, how are you two going to split up duties? If you had to explain what you're going to do and what your father is going to do on a very superficial level, how would you explain the split of duties behind the, the new Bever brand, which is going to come soon? Quite easy. He's 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 the explorer and I'm the Sherpa. <laughs> okay, so you're so you're you're carrying all the load. Exactly. He's I'm I'm he's 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 teaching me how to uh to get, he's getting me the way up and making me do uh, the Because it kind of sounds like maybe here's the Sherpa. You know, the Sherpa knows the way. The Sherpa's the guide. Could you're be. the one. It's all fresh to you, so maybe you're exploring. It could be, yes, indeed. Yeah, but you see yourself as, as carrying all the heavy stuff and him I, enjoying I, it. I think that uh, looking back on his career, his age, and all the respect I have to my father, uh, uh, of course, I'm looking forward for him to transmit his knowledge, his experience, and his, his passion. But I also want to help him and do the best so that he can enjoy this this experience without having to put all the hard work he has been all those years. Um, so if I can relieve him from any load, that's uh, that's what I'm trying to do. That's lovely. Now I remember uh, years ago. You may not remember. I was at your home. I met you uh, and your brother. Um, and you know, at the time, you probably would have not have guessed that you would have been in the watch industry. In fact, at the time, maybe about ten years ago, it wasn't as exciting a thing. But now, all of a sudden, because of social media and pop culture, watches are such a big deal. Um, is it a little bit surprising to you that you know, twenty years ago, they would have said the newest generation would have no interest in watches, and all of a sudden, watches, smart watches, traditional watches, are such a big thing? Do you feel at all surprised? To, 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 uh, if, if I may answer, yes, I feel surprised. I feel surprised because uh, the amplitude of the, the interest is now so big that I am surprised how big the interest has come. That there is interest, I was always sure, that people would one day wake up and see the advantage and of eternity Remember, a mechanical watch is an eternal piece of art. And how many eternal pieces of art do we have? Not many. Not many. And so people are hungry for eternity. Eternity is the most important thing in our life. And that is why suddenly... I I think what people have become conscious that the only eternal piece of art they can buy is either a real piece of art, a painting, a sculpture, or a watch. What other industrial products are made for eternity? Are cars made for eternity? Certainly not. Even if you can collect cars after 150 years, your car is gone. I mean, it, it, and a watch after 150 years is still working. It's, it's even looking uh, new. And if you think 
the five most uh, important or most common or most sold watches in the collection uh, uh, industry are watches that are already 50 years old. Look at the Speedmaster, 50 years old. Look at the, the, the Daytonas from Rolex, 50 years old. What is the other industry that has a lifetime of 50 years? Look at clothes, look at, at fashion or shoes. Uh, there isn't many. And people suddenly became conscious that the real value of a watch is lies is in the eternity of the product. Well, it certainly makes you appreciate history for sure. And that leads me to a very interesting question because in some of the previous instances where you've done this, you've had something to work with. Like before you said you didn't want to buy a brand, you are a brand, but you have to start from scratch right now. As a business manager, what are the first steps that you, you do? Is it is it first to create the team? Is it first to create the product? Is it first to create some emotion? Um, you are a master at this. No one ostensibly knows any better than you. T tell us, what are the first few things on your plate in starting a brand new watch brand? The first thing I believe is why are you or me making a watch brand? What's, what's the religion? What's the, the concept of your brand? Is it to make watches that tells you what time it is? Is it to make watches that tells you how uh, rich you are? Is it to make watches that tells people how discreet, how sophisticated you are? So the first thing, you must define where do you belong to? In which category will your watches uh, be? Uh, will there be popular watches? Will there be exclusive watches? Will they be handmade? How many pieces are you going to produce? So all these questions about the brand are essential because they will define who you are, where you go, how you dress, where you sleep, where you eat, who do you marry. This is the destiny. So when your brand is born, it's like a kid. What is his destiny? Which education are you giving him? Which religion will he get, etc.? And it is the same for, for uh, uh, brands. You must define what the brand will do. Why is the brand existing? Why should it exist? How, what does it bring you to your life? What does it bring to people? This definition is for me crucial. And eventually you can see brands, not in the watches in general, that are made without having answered this question. It's not because you don't answer that you don't have success, but it's probably because you never answered those questions that your success has not lasted. Because, uh, 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 and that's, that's important. So that is the first mission, definition of your brand. How, why, etc. These questions must be solved and then you must stay coherent to those questions. Such a wise thing to say where you're creating the character, you're developing the personality, the brand is very much like a person and they have to have a history and they have to have motivations. And there's people that want to be their friends and there's people that maybe don't want to be their friends. Pierre, what was your input into fleshing out this personality? What did you say uh, the brand should be, shouldn't be? What were some of your wishes? I'm curious. I'm not sure we can reveal uh, any of that for the moment, but what I can say is that uh, there is a complementary. Uh, complem we are very complementary uh, with my father. I think he brings a lot of experience, a lot of serenity, a lot of confidence in in how we should shape uh, this upcoming project. And maybe I bring a little touch of of you know usefulness to to him and bring him new ideas. And a bit of fresh blood. So, and what what does the people from your generation want in? I'm guessing a traditional watch. What what is some of the input? I mean, your father is one generation. He has the things he wants. He has his tastes for sure. Um, but what have you told him about 
maybe not just yourself, but others of your generation in the early 20s. I mean, I'm, I'm nearly 40. It would be news to me. Help illuminate me a little bit sort of what your generation is thinking about when it comes to traditional watches. You know, I think from my experience working, working with mostly the, the auction market and the secondary market, um, I see lots of young, young people getting into watches that actually don't really need all that lecturing or all that information because today, uh, my generation, we, we're very proactive in looking up on the internet, on social media. We, we really um, go out to get the information about the product we want to buy or are interested in. I think where uh, today there's real potential for brands uh, to to attract uh, my generation is to propose something bigger than just product. You know, it's a set of values, it's a philosophy, it's a mentality. And when you look at the most sought after watches today, if you take the Royal Oak or even the Daytona, for instance, there are two watches that, in addition to being a great product, they have this iconic feeling about them. This it, it, it goes beyond the product. And I think today, uh, our generation with all what's going on with, you know, uh, the virtual world, uh, NFTs, cryptos, also the, the geopolitical climate where we know we have, we have COVID, we have now <laughs> Russia invading Ukraine. I think we're, we're a generation that is looking more into long lasting values and, uh, something more than just products. So you were mentioning a little bit before the call about how you spent some time at Philips, which is an auction house. Um, and that was some of your sort of real world practical experience with watch buyers and collectors and that whole market. Uh, you know, what did you see around you? What did you want to be more a part of? What do you, what, you know, what was very valuable about that experience? Because, you know, as your father can attest to you, uh, the watch industry is just layering a series of experiences and skills. It's knowing how design and marketing and material science and, you know, manufacturing and logistics and taxes. You have to know so many things. So talk a little bit about that time there and, and what you took away from it. No, I think one of the ma- the major things I took away from it is uh, having an outlook on the, the history of the watch industry. Because going through auction catalogs, you know, writing essays or just looking through having global knowledge about some of the watches and to be able to talk to our clients, our collectors and bring them the best uh, service possible, we need to understand also how the market has worked in some references some pieces out there you know there were pieces that were released and that didn't necessarily have uh, immediate success but it grew over the years they tweaked the movements uh, you know there's so much um to learn about how the watch industry has grown to become what it is today and i think that's a very interesting uh, very interesting skill that that i learned over there looking uh, learning about just the watch industry and its history and looking through pieces from the past but i also well, think it's a life it's a lifetime education as you know Yes, and I, I also think that something very important that I learned is also to um, have a different perspective on a part of the market, which is more the collectors, let's say the, the big collectors. Uh, growing up, I um, had more of the optic through my father of the in- industrial side of the business and that sector. And working at Philips really opened my eyes to a whole other sector of the watch industry, which is growing rapidly and uh, which is taking more and more space in in this industry. The future is going to be very different in the past in regard to how people buy watches. When I first started, uh, buying watches was mostly done through these relatively small uh, third-party authorized dealers, mom-and-pop shops, if you will, and all around the world. And for a variety of reasons, um, that's less of a force. And and the way people buy watches is different today. There's a whole variety. Uh, people buy them directly from the brand online, or they're sold you know, still in these interesting little niche retailers. How do you want your watches to be sold based upon how you think people of your generation maybe want to be buying watches? I think today it's, it's, it, it really depends also what type of watch you're going for. I mean, uh, I've already ordered some watches online and you know, it, it's, it's a great feeling to have them delivered by uh, the post uh, two, two days later or three days later. But then again, it depends what you're looking for in each watch. I mean, uh, I think that that is uh, dependent really on the brand you're buying, the price you're buying and why you're buying the watch. But I definitely think today there's much innovation to, there's much room for innovation in the watch industry, uh, whether it be, as you say, in the way we, we sell watches or we buy watches or we display watches. I think there's a lot, a lot of innovation 
lot of room to grow. Okay, I'm, I'm going to pose the same question to your father, Jean-Claude. Um, where do you think is a smart way for people to buy your upcoming watches? Again, the market has never been more diverse in how watches can come to market. And, and this is an area you've obviously been very savvy in. Uh, lend me your thoughts on, on where you think your watches should uh, find their way to customers. So if, if the question is where do my watches, my brand should be sold, it should be sold by people who understand the philosophy, the concept, and the art which we want to transmit. Because we are not interested in just selling a product. We are interested to selling more than just a product, more than the timekeeping. Because if anybody buys my watch to know what time it is, he should not buy it. Because he can buy a smartwatch, smart he can buy a swatch at $50. We try to transfer eternity, beauty, mastering of art. This is a value. We don't, we, uh, the major objective is not to, to, to make a watch. It's to have a watch that represents something, that has a soul. How do you put the soul into an object when you wear something on your wrist? It should have, it must have a soul. How can a human being put something on his wrist 10 hours a day that has no soul? But it's that's in the position. It doesn't fit. What is fitting uh, uh, on your wrist is something that is like you, that has a life like you that has variations like you. So for me, the best way to sell is to sell to people or through people who understand and who can speak with the customer, who can explain why this watch is special, why this watch has a soul. What does it mean, a soul of a watch? We all know what is the soul of a human being, but what, what is the soul of a watch? And so we need to educate. This watch must be sold in a, in like sold in a church <laughs> or, or in a mosque or uh, wherever. It's not just a watch that you buy on the market or that you buy where you can have big discounts, etc. Okay, so... so- what I'm hearing, thank you for much. That's uh, very interesting. It's less about where and more about by who. That the people who sell this watch have to be storytellers. They have to understand, yes. and they have to be able to convey to their customers, whether that's on Instagram or on the yes. phone or in person. It doesn't matter. It's about them being able to to understand the story and care about it, and then using their own charisma to transmit it to the people that they're talking to. Bravo, you gave the best answer. That's the perfect English answer. Sorry, my answer was not so good. No, it's okay. <laughs> I, I've learned over the years. <laughs> I love to hear you. Thank you very much. You gave me the answer in good English. Now <laughs> I I know how to answer this question. Well, for, for everyone that's listening, I have delighted over the years in listening to Jean-Claude's various types of speeches and sermons and trying to distill them into practical advice because he says things that captivates everyone and they know that they heard some wisdom, but you do it in this poetic way that requires some intellectual distillation. And I try to put it into practical terminology for other entrepreneurs in the space because Jean-Claude truly, truly understands all the elements of the watch uh, buying experience and making experience. And I believe that is because you are what I call colloquially uh, a product guy. You like the product. You put yourself in the shoes of the consumer, the collector, the aficionado, and you say, would I like this? Do I want this? Does this even make sense? And if it does not, I imagine you say no to it. And still today, so many of your former colleagues are not product men and women. They just can't figure it out beyond, you know, numbers on paper. And it's it's always sort of been your special power, you know? Yes. Thank you very much for this uh, compliment. I think uh, I, I enjoyed listening to you. That's exactly what I try to do. And that's what we should do with our brand. 
That's why our brand should even exist. Because if the brand cannot be treated like that, cannot be interpreted, cannot be sold like that, we better don't do it. Okay, but now there's a really important distinction between futuristic and classic, which you need to make early on in forming the brand. And 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 Jean-Claude, you've done both, of course. You've done super classic with things like Blanc Pan. You've done ultra modern with Hublot, and you've done everything in between. Um, you know, uh, maybe this can be a brand that does both. But you know, where do you start? And I'm curious: is it going to be in the classic or or in in the contemporary? It's a brilliant question. But I will try to give a brilliant answer. (laughs) A good question should always get a good answer. I hope so. (laughs) Yes, exactly. So are we going to make it more classic or more futuristic? It will be the art of disruption. The art of disruption, like the pyramid in Paris of the architect Pei, in the Museum Le Louvre, he has built a pyramid that looks so modern. It is so different from the environment. In the beginning, people didn't understand. People were saying, how can he build such a modern uh, 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 pyramid in the middle of the 17th and 18th century architectural rules? And he said, sorry, I have built a place where you have a marriage, the marriage of the 17th century and the 21st, because it's not my role to copy the 17th century. I will never copy. So I have married the century 17 with the century 21. And the century 21 is my pyramid and the century 17 is the whole building, the environment. That was brilliant. That has so much. It has been built, the pyramid, 30 years ago. And 30 years ago was still, for me, I was only 43 years old. At 43 years old, I still could learn a lot. I still could have a lot of emotions. And I had a huge emotion when I saw this pyramid. And I still... I started, I thought, now I should learn why this pyramid in the middle of the 17th century has a role to play. And I, that was what I learned from the architect Pei. He's an American guy, uh, origin from, from Japan. Uh, uh, he died, unfortunately, eight or ten years ago. But it's just brilliant. And that is my biggest hope. I hope I will never repeat the past. The past is should never be repeated because you are not you don't have the right to copy yesterday. You must interpretate yesterday. You must take yesterday and project it to the future. And you know about watches, my question very often is if Mr. Brigge would be alive. How would he build a tourbillon? Will he do it (laughs) like the one he did in 1801? Or would he do it like it should be done in 2021? And Brigge or any other watchmaker, Mr. Patek, whatever, they would not repeat what they have done in the 18th century. They would go into the century, the 21st, and try to interpret it like the 21st century. That's art. That is how art goes to the future. Because art should not be repeated. Art should evolve and go to the future. And you see it in paintings. Who is copying the Impressionist? Nobody, never. It has existed. Leave it. Who would copy Mozart, the music, nobody. So art only can go to the future. And that is exciting when you can handle something that has only one direction, the future. 
This is a lot of wisdom. I want everyone to listen to what Mr. Bever said twice there. And we have a motto, the art of disruption. And of course, that's a little bit different than the art of fusion, which was so successful for you over at Hublot. And that was related to combining materials that people really never saw combined before. But um, uh, before I go into that a little bit, again, thank you, Jean-Claude. Pierre, the, the art of disruption, um, tell me a little bit about what that means to you. I think to, to answer the question in, in, in a bit of continuity to what he said, I think today we're, we're starting this project as father and son. There's a huge accent put on transmission and the fact that there's a kind of legacy where he's passing on some of his knowledge to me, his experience. And I think there's something very uh, disruptive in, in this transmission as well, because you know if, if he just passes on his knowledge to me and I just repeat it, it there's no transmission, there's no dy- dynamism to to changing and it making evolve what he's learned, what he's done, his, his values, his way of seeing things, his, his wisdom as well. So, um, I would say for me, the art of disruption is in interpreting all what I'm going to be able to learn from my father, but with a twist, my twist and the twist of the future. Have you visited the gift store for watch lovers? It's called the blog to watch store and we carry art apparel and accessories for today's timepiece enthusiasts. Buy your wristwatches elsewhere and celebrate the watch collecting hobby with high quality original products at the blog to watch store. Right now, the blog to watch store features a line of t-shirts inspired by iconic timepieces and designed by the collecting experts at the blog to watch. Made from 100% premium cotton, our soft fitted t-shirts are stylish, fun, and models like our iconic diver dial even have a glow in the dark face. The Blog to Watch store carries bespoke yet affordable products, which the Blog to Watch editorial team wanted for themselves as the first customers. Visit the website to see what is available right now, and we ship internationally with new products coming all the time. Check it out by logging on to store.ablogtowatch.com. That's store.ablogtowatch.com. Now, one of the things that your father spoke about that I think is extremely relevant is the world of art. And I think what's also very important to your father is originality. And he wants this to be intellectually good art. It is extremely important for him for this to be original. And to do so, you need to think hard and work hard with many designs and things like that. What is the brand doing on the visual side? I, I, I don't know, but I'm imagining that neither of you are, are doing drawings of watches. Obviously, watch designers a different profession that we all respect, and you're probably working with a bunch. But what do you do in this process to start visualizing what the watches could be like. There's obviously a lot of trial and error. Talk about that process of creating mock-ups and visuals to imagine what some of this uh, art of disruption might look like. Yes, we have first to analyze which material can we use in order to bring new ways of aesthetic and new ways of production. Which material? So that's the first question. What are the materials that would enable us to make a watch uh, uh, a shape um, that is totally different from the today's shape? Uh, so everything starts with the material. Then comes the color. You know, for centuries, watches have been yellow or white because in yellow they were in gold and white they were in steel or eventually white gold and eventually platinum. So we only had two colors. Can you imagine the watches we have worked 300 years and we during 300 years, we have only used two colors. We have used yellow and we have used a, a white. And suddenly in the 20th century, we have started to use black, uh, black ceramic, etc. So the color is extremely important also. So the material, the color, then you have the weight for centuries. Every expensive watch should have been heavy because heavy me- meant it's in platinum or it's in gold. And now we have expensive watches that are super light. So you see, all this helps us to come to a new proposition, to make watches 
thanks to technology. The technology is now at our disposal. And if Mr. Brugge or Mr. Patek or whoever would have had all these uh, 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 variations at his disposal, they would have made other watches. But they had only steel, uh, eventually uh, platinum and gold. And that was it. They didn't have other choices. So they were prisoner of the technology. Today, we are no more prisoner. Everything is open. Every, you, you, have, you can use materials that are going to the moon. You can, I mean, there's no limit. So we are in the so What comes to mind? Because I'm hearing that steel and gold is out <laughs> and no, uh, you've done black. It's not out. It, 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 it was just our limit. Ah, it's not out at all. And it will never, okay, be, okay. I think gold will never be out and platinum, same. Because gold and platinum, they have eternity in the material. They're quite so nice. They will never be out. But they, during centuries, you only had the, these two or so three variations of material. Of course, in the, in, the, in, the, in the 1801, you didn't have ceramic, for instance. You didn't have carbon, for instance. You didn't have titanium, for instance. So I wanted just to, to point out how much material is important, but material is only important if you research for new materials. If you want to do gold, you don't care. If, if gold was already there 200, 300 years ago, and it will be still there in 300 uh, the next years. So I wanted just to point out the opening of materials, of choices. We as a designer or we as a brand, we never had so much choices. There, there, there's no limit anymore. It's overwhelming almost. Yes, it's overwhelming. Now, now you, 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 there are watches that are 100% made in sapphire, totally transparent, or rose sapphire, or blue sapphire. That was, you could not imagine. When I started in the watch business 50, 47 years ago, I, we never knew we could make a sapphire watch. We didn't have the technology. It was just dreaming. And today... Sapphire watches, I don't know, but you are, we, the Switzerland is maybe doing 500 pieces a year, which is not a lot, but it exists and it's not anymore so exclusive. But you see, that is the beauty of disruption, is when you can go and take materials that normally doesn't fit. Now, one of the things which is so important, of course, is, is price point. Um, you're not limited. You can come up with watches at all different price points whenever you want. But where, where do you start? Obviously, the the supporters you've had tend to be serious watch collectors, and you could very easily make a super high end price point. That would be uh, not too difficult of a challenge for you. Uh, you could also try to do something a little bit more accessible if you uh, want a, a younger person to have it closer to them. You've always been big on aspiration. You've known that there's a long tail, that you attract someone when they're young and you don't necessarily anticipate selling to them until they're, they're many, maybe decades uh, older. Um, but I'm just curious, you know, in terms of your discussions uh, in price points, what, what, what are some of the areas that are interesting to you? So what is interesting to me, to me, is the art. Can you say, I make 100,000 of uh, whatever watches and I am an artist and every watch is 100% handmade? I no. don't know if you can say that. So if your interest is art, is personalization, is high highest quality ever, then you are limited in the quantities. And our quantities, we want to produce every uh, week, we want to produce 10, 8 watches uh, per month. Per month, 8 watches per month. This okay. means 100 watches per year. But Eventually, we will need one year to make one watch, and it doesn't. Or eventually, two or three years. That doesn't. That is not important. What is important is the care. It's the quantity of art. Is 
uh, all the emotions that are inside, all the values that people don't see, you know, like the Petit Prince, the, the important thing is not what you see with your eyes. <laughs> and it's the same in a watch, a watch that has a soul, a watch that, tra that, that transmits something when you wear it. That is what we want to do. So we will be limited to, let's say, 10, no, even not, eight watches per month. And eight watches per month divided by, if you work 20 days a month, you see how many watches it makes per day. is nothing. And that's what we want to do. Even if you say, but Mr. Beaver, with only 20 watches or only 100 watches per year, you will never be a big brand. No, I want to be not a big brand in quantities. I want to be a big brand in what I bring to the art, what I bring to the... So that, that is important. What do I represent in my field? And Absolutely. I yeah. You want to be an artisanal brand. You want to make exactly. art pieces that you're proud of. Now, on the other side, on the production side, I imagine that when Jean-Claude Biver goes to you and says, hey, I want to make watches, you could get anyone uh, to do work uh, for you. And you obviously live in, 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 in near Geneva and you have access yeah. to all the major suppliers. How do you go and choose who to help you? You know, they need to be reliable. They need to do good work. They need to come up with interesting ideas. How do you choose who gets to, to, to do business with you? You mentioned, you mentioned it. We need to go to people who master quality. We have to go to people who master innovation. We want to, to uh, go to people who master uh, um, uh, uh, quality. Um, <laughs> we have to go to uh, people who master individuality. You know, there's nothing more beautiful than to have a watch made just for you. Not everybody, not every supplier is capable of making one watch uh, uh, because they are more specialized in series. Thanks God. So we will choose uh, uh, suppliers that have or that share our philosophy, that can adapt to our philosophy. And that's, that's the important thing. So uh, the supplier uh, cannot be different from the mentality than yours, because then you will have a clash. So we need people who think like us. And I know, thanks God, a few people who are thinking like me, like us, and who are said already that they are ready to work for us. And that's, that's, that was the first question we asked before starting. Imagine nobody, everybody would have said, no, no, Mr. Beaver, thank you very much. I'm not interested. In, in an order of five watches in 12 months. I'm interested in five watches every day. So we have now the right suppliers uh, in movements, in, in cases, uh, in dials that are capable to meet our requests and to meet our quality. Now, you're going to have to travel around a lot like you used to. You're going to have to tell the story. No one's going to be able to do it better than you, Jean-Claude, and, and, and you, Pierre. Um, and, you know, tell me a little bit about your plans of getting out there, not only to meet people and talk about your ideas, but to become inspired. I know that you drink from the market, so to say, and you really feed off of it. Um, when are you going to start doing that? And, and talk a little bit about your feelings going into a, a new road trip, so to say. We are starting today. You know, this is the first conference we do with uh, anybody in the world. Oh, wow. So we are starting today. And you see, today we didn't need to travel <laughs> because of technology. So we will have a mixture of like today through technology, or we will have a mixture uh, like, uh, coming directly to the, to, the, to the people. And I think the best is to have both. Every way of communicating has its advantages. The advantage to sit next to somebody is different than the advantage to, to, to sit next to uh, 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 a computer. But the two are, are of high quality. And if, thanks to the computer, we can eventually speak five times a week, 
And then by traveling, we can meet eventually three times a year. And that's the beauty. We must use technology for what it can give us, for the advantage. But we should never give up the human relation because of technology. The technology is just an additional support, like the, the video, like the, the uh, Instagram, etc. All these all these tools which we have uh, at our disposal. What are some of your hopes for? the coming years in the watch industry. I don't mean your brand, but the watch industry itself, it's going through a trans transitional period as someone living in the heart of it. Of course, no one knows better than you what's going on. Where do you hope the watch industry will go? Of course, a strong watch industry means strong suppliers, strong retailers. It's only good for you. What do you hope is the trajectory over the next five years or so? I first hope the Swiss will keep their leadership. <laughs> I respect the German uh, Uh, watchmaking art. I respect mm -hmm. even the, the Italian or the French, but I am very pleased that the Swiss have its today's leadership and the leadership for the art of making watches. The leader today for watches is called Apple. They produce more than 30 million watches. Right, Nobody right. in Switzerland makes 30 million watches, but it's just different. The Apple watch is more than a watch. It's a computer on your wrist. And, 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 and I, I admire, I have personally six uh, Apple watches, uh, which I wear uh, quite often, by the way, when doing sport or like this. But the, the Apple watch has this huge advantage. It's a computer on your wrist. And a computer on your wrist is very, very easy to transport. Uh, and it's easier than a, a computer uh, in your pocket. But... The Apple Watch is a complete, uh, 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 it's a concentration of technology and a mechanical watch is a concentration of emotions, of art. And that the two are different and the two are not competing because one is complementary to the other one. You can have both. Well, why can't you have uh, uh, an elect electric bike and have a, a, a bike that is mechanical? There's no reason. Why that sounds like the art of disruption to me. Yeah, exactly. So you see, I, I hope the Swiss will keep the, their leadership, which they have now. And uh -huh. uh, we should all in Switzerland be conscious that there will be some competition. We should be conscious that we should not become arrogant. Because a leader cannot be arrogant, a leader must share. If you share, then you are a leader. If you keep everything for you, you are an egoist. There's been a lot of talk about human resource issues in the watch industry, um, hiring good talent, maintaining good talent, and yes. things like that. You've always had very loyal teams around you. Talk yes. to the industry right now. Tell them how to solve their human resources problems. You have three, three ways. Number one. You must share. Good Sharing point. makes you rich. It makes rich the one who shares. It makes rich the one that gets part of the sharing. So the first thing you must learn in human relations is to share. The second thing you must learn is to teach. Because who are you in order to uh, to think Uh, 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 your people don't need to, to, to learn. We must accept the learning. We must promote learning. And, and, and number three, we must learn to forgive mistakes. God damn, who are you when you don't do mistakes? <laughs> Whoever tells me I don't make mistakes, I said, because you are sleeping. And when you sleep, normally you don't do mistakes. But anybody who is awake is doing mistakes. And from the mistake, you learn so much. That is why at 73 years, I am better than when I was 40. Because I do less mistakes than when I was 40. Uh, my body has weakened, but my brain has reinforced. So these are the three major rules in the human resources.
I, I couldn't agree more. And going to your second point about education, what are you currently uh, trying to teach your son, Pierre, through this process? Obviously, he's going to get a lot of mentorship from you in a lot of areas. What are you, what are you currently trying to instill in him right now? The most important thing that I try is to tell him, be always yourself and be uh, a true. Don't start to make tricks don't start to lie. Don't start to work on short term. Be yourself and work for tomorrow because success will come, but success has a speed. And if success comes too early, it means it will not last. Uh, success can only last if it is the, if it, if, if it, if it is the end process. So I'm, I'm teaching or I'm teaching him and everybody who works with me to be always true, to be honest, to tell the truth and to work for the brand, not for himself. Because in big corporations, you have a lot of people that are working for them, that are working for their position, for their right. ego. Uh, and that is wrong. You are here to work for the community and the community is your brand. And the brand is the important element, not you. So just be the servant of the brand. Pierre, your, your father has some amazing wisdom. And just given your age, it's no fault of your own. You don't have necessarily enough context to appreciate the, the, the larger wisdom there. But I just wanted to ask you, in your opinion, uh, what, kind of a, what kind of a teacher is your father? Is he uh, e easy to learn from? Does he give good lessons? Is he a strict schoolmaster? Um, he's, a, he's a good mix. Of um, of being strict, but at the same time very forgiving. He's always very enthusiastic. He's open to share his thoughts, his doubts, uh, his his certitudes also. But something that's truly incredible, I think, to have a teacher like him is that from a very young age and still today, every day we we go into meetings together. Every day we have we work we work together. He always surprises me, and I always have the same awe in in seeing him perform. You know his his magic, the way he speaks, the way he brings people together, um, the way he creates passion. So he's, he, he can be very tough and he can be very strict, but he can, he's also always listening. He's always trying to understand. Um, if, when we talk, when we have uh, discussions, he's always trying to understand what I'm saying, process it. And he's very modern in that way. And it's, uh, it's something that you might not expect from a 73-year-old. But he's, uh, in fact, um, very modern in his approach to teaching me and to transmitting his, his wisdom. Well, I'll, I'll, tell you, I'll tell you this, and it goes to what I said in the, the beginning of this conversation. And it was that this industry doesn't have like business models to follow or you know, prerequisite degrees. There are charismatic personalities that uh, are, are the genesis of all success and the people that rally behind them. You can't copy them. The, the hope is that you are one of those personalities. But in a sense, um, being a good watch uh, manager is sort of like being a good autocrat. You have to be decisive. You have to make well-informed personal uh, opinions. You can't rule by committee. Of course, you have to trust and delegate. But at the end of the day, you have to make very, very strong decisions. And this industry has been one where uh, charisma definitely leads. And it is a matter of discovering your own inner charisma, not replicating or emulating what your father uh, has done, which is a very special blend, but, but, but finding your own. And that's, that's hard. No one can teach you that. You just have to fail a bunch of times, honestly. Just fail and fail and fail and then keep picking yourself back up. You know, uh, one of the things that I know about Switzerland is it's not super friendly to people that do business risks and fail. It can be very hard, which is a shame because in America, for example, um, you know, it's almost a point of pride. Like, oh yeah, I, I, you know, I started a few businesses and failed. Well, by the third and fourth one, you really know what you're doing by that point. Um, and, and, and it can be very, very scary when you, when you never want to fail. And I can just say this, um, despite what you get from the local culture, the world is very forgiving. And if you make a really bad watch, for example, the way to fix it is just follow up with a good watch. It's really just that simple. Um, the world isn't waiting to, to, to punish you for the, the second one if, if it's, uh, you know, uh, just because the first one was bad. And so um, the world loves um, 
people who are able to reinvent themselves all the time. And, you know, this is interesting. This is a new era of, of the Biver brand. Now, Jean-Claude, this is uh, one of the last questions for you. At what point were you comfortable with the idea of having the name Biver on a watch dial? I'm sure for years people said start a Biver brand. I don't think you wanted to do it for a long time. Um, at what point did you say, okay, I'm, I'm comfortable with this idea? I became comfortable only with the idea Beaver and Son. There is a brand called Lange and Son and Zöhne. And if this brand would not have existed, I would have called Beaver and Zöhne. Because that made me comfortable. Is the sharing process. I make a brand for a family. I make a brand not for me. <laughs> uh, I am the reason why uh, it started. But I am going to die in 15 or 20 years latest, and the brand will survive. It will survive thanks to another beaver, etc. So I want to start the name Beaver for tomorrow, not for me. And that has made me deciding. I decided that I want my name for the future and for the future generations. And something that's very particular, I would say, with our story, with our brand and the way it's developing right now, is that you you, you have lots of examples of generational brands, you know, that pass on through, through generations. But today we're creating something that has an even bigger added value where we create where two generations are getting together to create it. It's not like if um, my father would have created that 20 years ago that I would have come into business now looking back on what he's created and and you know just do my thing now we're creating that together and it's it's more than a family brand it's going to actually be a brand that that was created that originated from the minds of two generations which is something very peculiar that they're not you don't see very often and you know for the for the guarantee for instance i am playing with the idea to have two guarantees on the watch. One guarantee that is offered by to any uh, buyer is offered from the company. It's a guarantee that will last maybe five years. And then I have a second guarantee that we will call Beaver and Son that is for eternity. So the Beaver and Son guarantee will last forever and the normal, and you will have to pay a little supplement if you want a Beaver and Son guarantee, or <laughs> if you want the brand's guarantee, which anyhow will last five years. I love it. You've got the extended warranty plan already built in. Exactly. And now you are the first one to hear about it. <laughs> That's a fun concept. It, it reminds me a little bit with the um, the first Tag Heuer connector where you could trade it in for a traditional watch and everyone was scratching their head. They're like, really? And you're like, yeah, really? Yeah, yeah, so yeah, yeah. I, I support it. Last question, and this has to do with you know some of the logistics behind starting a brand new brand. This space, for whatever reason, especially in Switzerland, is very harsh on new brands. If something is old, okay, it's fine because it's old. But no one's really allowed to start a brand new history. And it requires some marketing magic to open up people's minds in a way that they may have been closed before. So what have you been playing around with in terms of concepts and ideas to do your marketing magic to make people feel like your brand has been here all along? We don't have any marketing magic. We are just honest. We just tell the truth. And we will never be ashamed to say, this watch uh, has been developed only six months ago. There's nothing wrong with it. It's not because it's old that it is necessarily good. <laughs> you know, it's oh, I agree with you. I agree. It's but we, you know how the industry is. From 1949, that uh, battle is, gr is great. It could be great if maybe it's, if it's uh, <laughs> uh, if it's a Chateau Cheval Blanc 47, 1947. It's the greatest red wine in the world, 1947 Cheval Blanc. But uh, this is by chance. But if you take a, a, a very good Bordeaux and it is 60, 80 years old, it, it is not the sign that it is necessarily better. Than the young one. Pierre, you wanted to say something? Go ahead. Yeah, I, I just wanted to add that also, it's, it, it, interestingly, there's there might be no history um, regarding a, a certain product of the brand, 
but just through my father's career, there is a certain history. You know, it, it might not be in the product itself, but I think he has that uh, legitimacy and that credibility that his career is the history of the brand already. Oh, absolutely. And people are going to be so very excited. I am uh, thrilled to have learned this information directly from you, and I'm honored that this was your your first uh, your first meeting about it. You'll have you'll have many. I hope that this was a good start. When when can people expect um, more news, visuals, things like that? People, you know, it, it would be nice to know when to look forward to something next. Obviously, this is a work in progress. Um, a lot of planning. You want to do it right in every way. But people are excited now. What should they look out for? For the end of the year. Okay, so the end of 2022. Yeah, we will have some results. We will have. We'll have we'll something for for Beaveran Son, and that is the name of the brand. That's fantastic. You have been listening to Superlative Podcast with uh, Mr. Jean Claude Biver and his son Pierre Biver. Uh, to both of you, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you thank very you. much. Thank you. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Superlative Podcast. Support the show by subscribing and rating it on your preferred podcast platform. For questions, comments, and ideas, please email the show at superlative at blog2watch.com. For the latest in watch news, reviews, and culture, visit blog2watch.com. <laughs>